The Start On Demand. On demand. What can liquor marts do to curb theft in their stores? Last weekend, they quietly hired Winnipeg police officers to patrol their stores. What else could they do? It's been 29 years today since Nelson Mandela walked out of a South African prison after nearly just as much time behind bars. We will meet the curator of the Mandela exhibit, which is in our own backyard. Premier Brian Pallister is being called out again, this time for posting about Winnipeg's snow while he was vacationing in Costa Rica. And should more companies allow you to nap at work? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, February 11th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you for joining us this Monday morning. Could police officers, Loren, be coming to a liquor store near you? It's a good question. We just learned over the weekend that Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries recently hired a few constables to work at some of its Liquor Mart locations in Winnipeg between February 1st and 3rd. So that was last weekend. Liquor and Lotteries wouldn't say how many officers were employed or which locations saw the special duty constables used. But we obviously know thefts at Manitoba Liquor Marts have been a huge problem over the last year. There were 650 thefts from stores in 2017, more than 2,600 in 2018. So that's like a four-time, four-fold increase. Here's what Constable Jay Murray had to say about the issue last fall. Every one of those thefts requires some investigation, uh, requires a detective to look into it. Often there's video surveillance associated with these files, uh, and they take a substantial amount of work. It's not an issue that we've seen as a significant problem in the past, but it has become one now, and one that's uh, providing a substantial drain on our resources uh, in our major crimes unit. So that was Winnipeg Police speaking about the spike in liquor store thefts back in August. Officials, of course, have been looking for solutions ever since. And so that included just recently hiring police constables to work at some of those stores. Those would be officers who are not on shift in case anyone's thinking they're using police to staff liquor stores. What they would do is they would hire those special constables who are not on duty or not on regular duty. And then the police would probably bill liquor and lotteries for that service. We don't know if this is going to continue, but it's an interesting question. When you look online, it costs about $100 per hour to, quote, rent a police officer who's off duty. But depending on how many they would need to use if they continue to go forward with this, liquor and lotteries could save some money because I think the last numbers I read, by August of last year, it had lost $800,000 in uh, liquor store thefts. And so the balancing act there is kind of interesting. But we're going to be speaking to the union who represents a lot of the staff after 7.30. I don't know if it's the step forward or if it's just about those locations, Greg, because we know some probably have more thefts than ever, or others, rather? I just, you know, you hear about some of these thefts becoming more brazen, and then you you wonder if a police officer, if they make an arrest, (laughs) then they're going to be out of that location, filing all the paperwork and doing all the things required to to get that person uh, into custody and and, uh, get the ball rolling on the legal front. I'm not exactly sure what the answer is here. This could be part of the answer. Uh, but I think this problem is so large, we're, I think we're all just getting a really good understanding of how big it is. Several thefts, like I'm trying to do the math in my head based on the locations. You're talking several thefts a day. 
you know, per day. You're talking and then, eight, eight. If you do that math for 2018, it's eight times a day at least that that's happening. That's correct. And you have to imagine that there are a whole uh, list of liquor stores who don't have any thefts. And there are probably a shorter list of liquor stores that have multiple thefts in a day. And how do you deal with that? Well, the unions talked about that should their security guards have more powers? Should staff have more powers? Should liquor be under lock and key? At some spots, like you go in boy, like cigarettes oh and then you have to ask and show your ID and all the rest there. I don't know. I think it's going to be a compelling question, one where there's going to be a multi- multitude of answers on how we deal with that. Oh, boy, where it's uh, haunted in here. <laughs> one of our lights is flickering and it just decided to to say hello for a moment. It was and a little startling. It went back to sleep. Now it's just kind of... Barely on. And in terms of these these liquor markets with the security guards, even if they had more power, there I can't tell you how many times that I walk into a liquor store and I see the security guard. And who knows what, what sort of combat training they've got or physical training they have, but they're, a lot of times they're way smaller than me. So, like, if I were to walk in and try to take something, not that I would, but if I wanted to, I'd be easily able to overpower this person, and I just sort of, I, I kind of feel bad for them in the event that they actually do have to get called into but action. would that change, would you change your mind if, A, you saw like an armed officer? For de- sure. Depending on their size, and or knowing that, you know, we've been hurt, like part of the problem is because we talk about this, then are there thieves out there who are like, oh, they're not stopping anyone? Like, I can just walk into a store and walk out because the security guards feel like they don't, they don't have the powers under the law to intervene and tackle someone and take them down. No, they don't have arresting powers or anything like that. So this whole thing out there, I think, with not that, not that we have a whole whack of thieves listening to CJOB, but I don't know. And if they're listening and hearing how this goes down, they're just well, kind of becoming more brazen because well, we cl- hear that nothing's being done about it. They've clearly figured it out. Yeah. That there's very little being done about it. And I think the perception by a lot of people is that those security guards are there uh, essentially to keep track of how much stuff is stolen because they cannot do really do anything about it. And the only people it's going to deter are people who aren't going to do anything bad anyway. Those are the only people intimidated by a security guard are, are people who are upstanding and law-abiding citizens anyway. So it, 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 it I'm sure, is having very little effect on uh, those who are intent on, on taking home the hooch without paying for it. Greg, we're getting lots of great suggestions from our listeners on how to curb theft at liquor marts. Yeah, revelations from the MLCC. Is that what we're M-B-L-L. still calling? M-B-L-L. Yeah, I actually, when I was looking for a comment from them yesterday, I went through like three different old websites. It was kind of confusing. Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries confirmed yesterday that they did put some police officers in some liquor stores last right, week. Right, exactly. And so uh, we were batting around the idea of whether this is the best way to combat thieves. Uh, thievery and those who wish to walk out of the liquor stores without paying for alcohol. And we had a plethora of suggestions from our listeners. One was to treat it like a nightclub. You know, there are many nightclubs in Winnipeg where you have to show your ID. They actually scan it, keep it on file, and that way they know that you were in the building if there happens to be a violent incident or otherwise. Yeah, because then that way you wouldn't be just relying on security video to try to track down that thief. You would know the name, where they live, and find them afterwards right. if that matched whatever crime occurred. And so that would eliminate a lot of people from from heading in the stores if they didn't have ID in the first place, also right? Also cut down on police work because of all the work they've been doing to try to crack down on these thefts in the after effect, right? With, I think, 62 arrests over a couple months and that kind of stuff. I have only one concern about that, and that... that who. 
And that is, who's going to tell someone that doesn't have ID that they're not coming into the store? And does that get, create a violent situation? That, that would be my only concern about that system. But I, I think it's a great suggestion overall. Another suggestion was, if you've ever been to one of these independent jewelry stores, one of our clients, Appelt Jewelers, you walk in and you're in a vestibule, you cannot open the door to get into the store until the door behind you locks and the reverse happens on the way out. I don't know if a liquor store is too busy for a, a system like that. Yeah, and because that could really, like, think of a Christmas Eve or oh. a Friday night and the lineup's already, and then you have to bzz, wait, bzz, like... Is it worth it? <laughs> Is the question, right? Yeah. That, that's part of the discussion. And the other part of that discussion, what happens if you trap someone inside that vestibule with stolen merchandise? How long does everybody in the store then have to wait for that situation to clear up? Now you've got someone in the fishbowl, they're stuck. You've got to phone uh, authorities to, to, you know, sort that out. And then the last one might be the most convenient one all around. And that is the consumer consumers, pardon me, distributors model. And for those of us old enough to remember that, they didn't really have any merchandise whatsoever on the floor. And there are some cold beer stores that employ this system where all the product is behind the counter. Yep. And if you want it, you have to ask for it and they get it for you. And that's the end of that. There's no hands-on. Uh, it's just uh, basically come in with your list, tell us what you want, we'll fill the order, you pay for it and leave with it. I kind of, that one I, I sort of like and sort of don't. I, I like it if you, like, for, especially for a beer vendor, like the beer vendors that, that have that kind of mm-hmm. model, if you go there, then you you know exactly what you're going in for. But sometimes you go to the liquor mart and you maybe you're hosting a party or maybe you just don't know what you want. You know you're going out tonight. I don't know what I feel like, so I'm just going to look around, and then you see something, you go, oh, I've never tried this. Because, like, th- there are so many different products in the LC sure. that you that it would take you an entire lifetime to try every single thing. Not a tremendous shopping experience. Well, it, it can be kind of neat, yeah. It would, that, uh, if it was, everything was behind the counter, counter yeah, oh, you right would, now, it is a, a, a great experience to a certain extent. Yeah, so if you had to order everything behind the counter, that would be, I think, Difficult, cumbersome, not sure if it would work, but it's worth at least looking at uh, maybe not every location, but maybe some locations would be better served to go to that model, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, you know, we're getting some response from listeners just now asking about, well, why why is this such a concern in the sense of, the, A, the cost or just the crime or who's going to stop them? And then who plays, pays for these police officers that went into some of these stores a week ago? So we know Liquor and Lottery said that they lost about $800,000 last year to theft and it was up that was up about a quarter of a million dollars they would pay for the cops the, the cops are hireable and they would then pay for them to come and work there but that's going to be an expensive solution i think maybe it's a system change like our listeners are suggesting that would make more sense than having a police officer at every location because at 100 bucks an hour that really adds up yeah they have to do the cost benefit analysis sure. on that right is it worth it to do that is it worth it to have uh, those type of individuals in the store in terms of creating that's going to add a little bit of tension to the situation on top of the expense right mm-hmm. it it changes your shopping experience uh, does it deter people who have no intention of committing a crime from even going to that location or all of a sudden you're now going to have locations that have that that black Stigma. mark or that strike yep. against them. It's like, well, you don't really want to go to that location. I think to a great extent, 
there those locations already exist in our mind, but there might be locations that we didn't realize were a real big problem. Could be some of the more popular liquor stores uh, in the city that are having a way bigger problem, and that might just highlight that. I think that there's going to be a there's a tremendous balancing act here as well. Because if I stop you, Brett, mm-hmm. from walking out, and you're intent on getting out and not getting caught. That, that has the potential to cause a violent situation. That puts everyone potentially at risk as well. Yeah, for sure. Oh, maybe the another solution could be you could just hire Gollum from Lord of the Rings to, to greet you as you walk in, and he just can say to every single person, They're thieves. They're thieves. I would do it. They're filthy little thieves. Or I could do that you and could just do creep it. everyone out. Yeah, no, that yeah. works. Just stand there on all fours. <laughs> right now we want to revisit our topic about Police in liquor stores. Well, that's because over the past year, thousands of bottles of booze have been lifted from manageable liquor stores. And so to try and combat those brazen thefts, we've been telling you this morning about how Liquor and Lotteries hired some off-duty police officers to work at some of its stores over the first weekend in February. And while they won't say how many cops were hired, which locations they staffed, or whether this is going to be maybe a permanent measure or at least hired again at some locations, the move is being hailed as a step in the right direction by many who work at these stores. The MGEU represents a large portion of liquor store staff. And to further share more on the problem and maybe a possible solution, we're joined by MGEU President Michelle Goronsky. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. Yeah, well, we'll start with... (laughs) uh, Mondays are hard for everybody, but I know it's been a hard year for staff at liquor stores for sure. We've talked at length about the problem. Is, Is it been curbed at all, or has there been any improvement, or is it only getting worse, Michelle? Well, this is a first, you know, important first step, I have to say. We're very pleased that the liquor store, the MLB, uh, they definitely are taking this issue seriously. Uh, We appreciate that. And, you know, we're going to continue to be willing to work with them on this. You know, very pleased to see that they're taking it seriously. These brazen thefts have continued, as you say. And, uh, you know, we are hoping that this is going to be a way that's going to provide safety for our members as well as the public. The folks that work in the liquor stores, you know, knowing that at any given moment you don't know what could happen, that there could be a theft, it takes a real toll physically, mentally, and emotionally on these people. You know, they take pride in the work that they do. It's a, it's a specialty. We've got very unique liquor stores, and it's a it's a wonderful shopping experience when all goes well. So knowing that, uh, you know, the employer is taking this seriously is a good first step. A lot of people might be wondering why staff or maybe more particularly the security guards that are are on staff in these liquor stores, Michelle, aren't, aren't doing, and I'm going to put in quotation marks, uh, more to curb these thefts. What are the roles of staff in these situations and of the security guards? Are they also uh, members of your union? Uh, the security officers are not. The you know all of the staff that work in the liquor stores are, and their role at work is to ensure that the public has the best shopping experience they can. They provide advice on you know which wines go with which meals. So their specialty is that their specialty is not in in combating theft and what's happening in those stores. So again, very very pleased that the employer has taken a first good step to this. And uh, we're looking forward to, you know, more improvements as we go along. Were you brought into those conversations, Michelle? Did you have any idea that some police officers might be hired at least on this pilot project basis to staff some of these more targeted locations? 
No, no, and and I wouldn't expect to. You know, it would be no value to anyone if if the employer was discussing exactly what the plans were and where they're going forward. If that ever, if when it, you know, if it got out, it definitely would not help improve safety at all. So it just makes sense that the employer continues on down the path of uh, you know trying to provide the best safety they can for the employees and the public that are going in. And again, you know, we're more than willing to work with them. Our uh, our members, their employees are definitely willing to work with them. Uh, every Manitoban has the right to, to go home safe at the end of their shift and liquor store workers are no different. And the public going into the stores expect nothing but to be able to go in, have a good shopping experience, make their purchase and go home safely. So uh, again, very, very pleased that the employer is taking this issue seriously. Michelle, many of our listeners gave us some suggestions on what could potentially be done at liquor stores to help curb thefts. We made it our question of the day at cjob.com, and maybe we'll just bounce a couple of these options off you to know what you think. One of the options was, why not have somebody at the door to scan IDs as you walk in? What do you think of that? You know what? Again, it could be an option, and every option needs to be on the table. And and uh, you know, when it comes to public safety and for our employees, everything should be tried. So if there's some good suggestions out there, I'm really hoping that the employer is hearing this. Another so, suggestion, sorry, Greg, another suggestion would be to go back to the uh, the system that we once employed at Liquor Mars way back in the 70s where you had to place your order at a counter like you do at some beer vendors. Is that something that would even be feasible in uh, the current marketplace as it pertains to liquor purchases? You know, I, and, and I don't have answers for everything. You know, I, I, again, the liquor stores offer a unique experience. Um, the employer has the responsibility for the theft or for the safety for everyone. So although I don't have the answers, I'm willing to work and our members are willing to work with the employer to ensure that every option, every idea, you know, is, is weighed and uh, they have a discussion about it. So, Michelle, do you, you at know, least get the sense that there's a commitment from MLLB to sort this out and and are they weighing it against what's an acceptable amount of shrinkage? What do you what what do you say to to those who say, well, you know, percentage wise, it's actually not out of step with other retail operations? You know, very pleased, and I'm I have full faith in the MLLC that they definitely are looking at the safety issue of this. Um, you know, uh, as for you know an acceptable amount of of any loss you know of, of the product. That I'm not going to weigh in on. That would be the employer, and that would you know their their um, thoughts on how they move forward for for myself and for the MGEU. Our responsibility again is to provide that you know make sure that the safety is there for our members and ultimately for the public and, and that go into shop. Um, so again, more than willing to work with them. Very proud to work with management here to ensure that the safety of our members and the public is first and foremost. That's got to be paramount. All right, Michelle Garonsky joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Have a great Monday, everyone. And she is the head of the MGEU union representing workers at the liquor stores. One of our listeners asking, you know, saying she didn't answer you. What does she want for her members? And if, if I heard her loud and clear, the job of her members is to provide a first rate retail experience to help people purchase things. Their clerks, their sales associates, they stock the shelves, they do all those things. Their job is not to provide security. That's the job of MLLB to figure out how they're going to provide that. That's their business. 
and that's what they do. And, oh, and they can I don't retrain, think there's any or they could do other there. things. But like, it, you, I, you got hired because you might know a lot about wine, or you're really good at customer service. I don't know if you got hired because you're also good at tackling people as they walk out the door with the bottle of booze in their pockets, right? Well, I worked in restaurant business. Uh, everybody's heard of da- Dine and Dash. Something that happened every once in a while. We were absolutely forbidden from chasing down individuals or groups of people who would sit and have a meal and then run away without paying for it. That, that was absolutely perfectly clear that that was not in the purview of, of our jobs. Yeah, and it's a, nor should it be. And they do work hard. They, they do, the, the clerks work really hard to provide you with that extra service. There have been, I, I remember one specific instance. I was looking for a very specific bottle of wine, and I, and I had found it once like five years back, and uh, it was a bottle of sparkling Shiraz. Oh, boy. Yeah, it was unique, and uh, so I went looking for it, and the guy looked through the store, and he looked through the back, and uh, he checked, like, their inventory for the other stores. He couldn't find it, but he he went way over above and beyond what I expected of them. I would have just thought he'd say, well, I don't think we have it here, so sorry, man. Yeah, But uh, they work hard. You'd like to think that in any scenario, and I've been there before too, where things have happened at different jobs, and you might yell out, out, hey, like... What do you think you're doing? Right. But beyond that, like, I don't know how what step beyond that I'd be taking, first of all, without any training at all. Second, how much am I being paid to to crack down on those sorts of things, right? So it's, just, it's a bigger conversation for their whole staff. Well, and I know the discussion I have with my kids with regards to intervening physically in terms of a conflict between their friends and what's going on at school. That's all. There's a different discussion in grade seven, grade eight, grade nine. But that changes once you go to high school. Right. I mean, I, I was in high school a long time ago, and we had a stabbing at my school because people started carrying knives. Well, we all know that knives and other weapons are very popular uh, to be carried in this city. And so that uh, that's keeping me away from jumping and intervening in a situation where... Somebody's trying to take a 60 or whatever of of rye. Sorry, man, I'm not getting stabbed for that. That's not in my job description. We got a couple of minutes here, and we're going to have coffee and talk in a moment about napping at work. But uh, the headline at globalnews.ca, I like this headline. It is Canadian companies are using nap time as a perk to spur work. What's happening there? Well, they're in fact changing the conversation. Those that are marketing naps for workplace are taking the nap out of the equation. And they're talking about basically a recharging station mm-hmm. for individuals and giving you an opportunity to to uh, reboost your, your serotonin levels. Well, and we've heard of this you. in like technology companies. So the headline references a company in Toronto called Event Moby, and it has a nap room at its place. But then it went into further companies that do different things, and you use the term recharge room. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because they're trying not to incur- say that we're all about the sleep at work, but they're saying you can go in here, and it's dark, and it has essential oils and couches and mats to meditate or lay down on. And it's becoming, for sure, in a certain kind of work, like Google's of the world and all the rest. We know that these things exist, but the question is, should it be more prevalent throughout? Once again, it's like the question about what do you do in the security at liquor stores? There's a cost-benefit analysis, and people are coming around to the idea that a rested employee and one that isn't struggling to get through the afternoon can be more valuable 
It's not for everyone. Just like smoking isn't for everyone, coffee isn't for everyone, the answer for a lot of people just might be to close their eyes at some point in the day to recharge their batteries. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Cameron Poitras is here, Jeff Fortier is here, the headline at globalnews.ca, Canadian companies are using nap time as a perk to spur work. And Greg, I know you had a situation last week where you had to pull the car over, right? I did. I was on my way home after a lengthy day here, and with our goofy sleep schedules, I often find myself fatigued on my way home, and it was so bad I think it was on Wednesday, I had to pull over on Henderson Highway and ended up having a 20-minute nap sitting in front of Santa Lucia, dreaming about pizza, but it was absolutely mandatory because I did not think that I could get home the, the last six or seven kilometers safely, and that's what I did. Good for you. Yeah, I remember once uh, I was, this is when I was a teenager, so I was still in high school, but I was, uh, or no, I guess I had just come out of high school, but I was, I closed the night before, it was a Saturday night where I closed at Taco Bell, and then I had to go in, and they had this, like, student program at the taxation center where you could go work in the evenings, and in this case, a rare weekend because they were overloaded, so they called us in on a Sunday morning for overtime, so I was at Taco Bell till like, 3.30 in the morning, back at the taxation center at 9.00. And uh, I got very little sleep, and I was a zombie. So when we had our half-hour lunch break, I just lied down on the couch for like 12 minutes, and uh, it was just like a reboot. Yeah. It was great after that. They will say, I can't do that. Like, I can't fall asleep quickly enough to make that worthwhile. But there are a lot of people who will be able to sit for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, doze off, and wake up feeling like just gangbusters. No, I, was, I can't do that, but in that case, I yeah. was so tired. Like, I, all for I had to do sure. was close my eyes and boom, and I was out. And then you feel better. And I know from now on this shift since I switched that if I do more than like 45 minutes, it's also no good to me. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like I want a three-hour nap. I have to basically cut, like I said, an alarm for myself or I'll just feel worse. So it's, you know, I don't think like they're talking about saying that pause for people to sleep for two and a half hours no, or anything and like that. One of our listeners backs that up as well. And the, the research says like 20 minutes is sort of the magic number. But uh, Gary says, hey, guys, love the show. I have a lunchtime siesta every day in spring and summer and fall in my car at work. Set my alarm on my phone because uh, that has happened where he's slept a little bit longer than he should, but he feels rejuvenated whenever he takes advantage. One time at the university, I went to take a nap. I think it was the, uh, what's the name of the library? Elizabeth Defoe at the University of Manitoba. I had a psychology class in the afternoon, so I had a spare and I went, instead of going to the library to study, I just went there to sleep because they had these cushions that you could line up like little beds. And uh, I lied down to think at 1 o'clock and my class is at 2.30. I woke up at like 6.30 p.m. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's not a nap. That's a sleep. Man. <laughs> yeah, I woke up and thought, why is it dark outside? What time is it? So that clearly didn't work. Cam, you a napping guy? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I am. I, I do like a nap. But it's kind of a coin flip for me if I'm going to feel better after it or I'm mm-hmm. going to feel worse. And I think when you say it's 20 minutes is like the magic number of what you kind of aim when you take a nap. You just want like 20 minutes. Like what happens when you like sleep longer? Because I'll like doze off for like two hours and I'll wake up and I'll feel worse right. than when I uh, went to bed at first. And just go back to sleep. That's what I do. <laughs> well, I can't sleep for like 12 hours in a row. I guess I could. But, but. You, is it because you can't fall, fall asleep right away, Jeff? Like what's the re- – like you couldn't do a 15-minute nap because – Oh, just once I fall asleep, I'm just asleep for a while unless something wakes me up. But otherwise, I'll just get whatever I need. And it's usually most afternoons, like 90 minutes, two hours. I don't know what the science is, Cam, but I have read things where people will say if you go into like a sleep clinic, they'll measure where before you fall into that deep sleep. They're trying to get that magic 
mm-hmm. get you to that magic place that's not going to have you like startled from that deep sleep, yeah. but get you a bit beforehand. There's something to it, which is why some people say 20, 25 minutes, but I don't know the science behind it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Cam on that one because sometimes I'll have a, a small nap and I'll wake up and I'll be way more tired than I was before I had that nap. So is it going to help me out better? I don't know. Yeah, it might not be for everyone. I think that's the point here. For some, it works. It works great for me. I'm a cat napper. I can close my eyes for five, six, seven minutes. You guys have caught me with my eyes closed at my desk <laughs> after yep. a shift. Mm-hmm. And when I wake up after just from even that three or four or five, six minutes, I feel really good. It, my brain just sometimes just says, you know what, man? You need to shut down for a couple of The problem sex. is changing our mindset because I think a lot of people would see, like, there's a guy that I used to work with who would sleep all the time and we would laugh at him all the time because he would just fall asleep at his desk and you'd hear him snoring and he'd be like, <laughs> oh, there goes so-and-so again. And we made fun of it. But then he got up and continued working for eight or nine, sometimes 12 hours, depending on the day. So it's not like that person's lazy. It's just that as soon as you see that person falling asleep at the meeting, you're laughing at them or yeah. you're elbowing, you know, like, uh-oh. Oh, there they go. Like uh, I had a teacher in high school that would just, he'd pass out <laughs> in the middle of class and he'd just start <laughs> snoring and stuff like that. And he would say the same thing. It's like, I just need this reset. I need 20 minutes. You guys are doing your textbooks or whatever. And uh, yeah. I just oh, you stayed? It. We had a teacher did that and we'd just leave. No. We'd be like, what's he going to do? Tell on us? Tell the principal that he fell asleep in <laughs> class and we all left? Our attitude towards sleep is funny though, right? We know we need a certain amount every night. We know we're not getting it. We seem to be okay with it. Yeah. We know it's detrimental to our health, but nah, I'm just going to continue to to do this. Uh, it it's just doesn't seem to be a, a priority. Oh, There's seen, almost a badge of honor too. I've seen uh, well, sort of throw you under the bus, McGarry. But oh, okay. uh, I've seen I've seen him during a commercial break where he's leaned back, eyes closed, <laughs> and he pops up <laughs> like he just fell asleep during a commercial break one time. I used to fall almost fall asleep during newscasts on the weekend. Like <laughs> while you're reading them? Yeah, well, because I would re- do those overnight, or those overnight, but early morning shifts, so like 3 a.m. to midnight. And typically it would happen more on the Saturday because I would work till 7 p.m. on Friday. And then I would go home and I would try to fall asleep. I'd end up just staring at the ceiling until, I don't know, 12.30. Well, the alarm would go off at 1.30. So I'd come to work and I would just be so tired that I would be playing an audio clip while doing a newscast, and it's a 20-second clip, and I would shut my eyes, and the clip would end, and then I would kind of go, oh, that's, silence is bad. Oh, that's because it's, I'm asleep. So, yeah, it would happen <laughs> during a newscast. I would fall asleep. Yeah. So, I like the idea. I support the idea of, of taking naps at work, because if you can just shut your eyes for five, ten minutes, it'll make you more productive. And I think that's the bottom line that companies are looking for. How can we get more bang for our buck? Because if you've got somebody who's a zombie who's sleeping at their, or falling asleep, or trying to stay awake, that's not doing the company any good. Or like crabbiness. Like, if you gave them 20 minutes in a sleep pod, whatever that looks like, if it's just headphones and a place to lay down, would they wake up just being a little bit nicer? Maybe that's all, like, some people need when you're like, oh, God, Greg's having a really bad day. Just wheel them over to the pod, everybody. Like, slap those earphones in his ears. I don't even need that. Just, just... (laughs) Just, just be quiet just leave for me 10 alone. minutes. <laughs> well, they <laughs> do this. Fine. Where else do they do this around the world? Japan well, is really, it's huge in Japan. They have all. They, I was just reading an article this morning that they actually have a word in Japan, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's in a Muri culture where it's called sleeping while present because it happens so often that they're so tired over there that people will just fall asleep on the subway or in their office or on a bench. And so they have a lot of businesses that will have sleep pods because they're trying to encourage everybody to not lay down on the ground, but just take a 20-minute nap. I think most famously Spain and Mexico, mm-hmm. part of the that culture mm-hmm. is, you know, in the heat of the day, 
you work, you start work earlier, and then you have a large meal. You go home, and you have a little bit of a sleep, and then you go back and you work into the evening hours. So you're not working when it's hottest. And I mean, I think we could take a lesson from that. Well, how, how do you fall asleep when it's that hot? Uh, I don't know. Having police officers in store, and that's actually our question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. What could the liquor marts do to curb thefts? And here the options are suggestions from our listeners. Hire police officers to patrol the stores, as they did last weekend for a pilot project. Have someone scan your ID as you walk in. Install a security door that locks so thieves can't get out, like at a jewelry store. Or make it so you have to place your order at a counter, like some beer vendors. And as one of our listeners confirmed, because I thought that that's what they used to do, and one of our listeners says that's the model that they had at the liquor stores up until 1975. Yeah, I don't remember that. But uh, I was only six, so I guess that makes sense. And he said a form, right? You had to fill out a form? Like to... consumers distributing. Yeah. And here's like what I, just, I want. That's not a f- consumers distributing is not something I'm familiar with when you use that phrase, but that's a process. So consumers distributing, for those that, that don't know what it was, it was a retail outlet, but they had none of their wares on the floor. It was a retail store. But you didn't go up and down the aisles. They had a catalog. Mm-hmm. And you got the catalog at home, but they also had the catalog in the store. And like you would Sears go, or something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you would go through, and every uh, product had uh, a code. And if you wanted the golf clubs, you filled in the code, and you had the sheet. And they would go in the back. They'd get the golf clubs. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go and pay for the golf clubs and take them home. You could inspect them in the store. And if it wasn't exactly what you wanted, you got back in line. You had it back. And said, no, this isn't exactly what I was looking for. Interesting. They did very briefly have it, a store where you could see their stuff on the shelves. Yeah, was that here in St. James? Uh, it might have been here. I'm pretty sure they had one at Regent Avenue as well where the Winners is. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it was there very briefly because there was one on Nairn. And then they opened up this shop, and then they went back to the old model in the old spot on Nairn. I actually bought Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo <laughs> from Consumers Distributing. Well, at the liquor stores years ago, that would have been a kind of because it was slowly, you know, the, the, we were loosening the legal strings around alcohol, so it was phased in in that way. So I can't imagine ever going back well, to that kind of system, I potentially mean, in some locations, but I... And let's face it, that long ago, there might have been 10 choices of alcohol and a variety, three or four different sizes of bottle, and what, maybe 10 or 12 different kinds of beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the landscape on that stuff has changed uh, dramatically, so it, it, I think it would be difficult to go back. But once again, it's for the liquor store and the liquor commission to, to tr- sort of figure that out, what, what model is going to work best and, and balance out the problems that they're facing in terms of shrinkage, as they call it, yep. versus safety and convenience for the customers that are foot in the bill. For sure. I mean, it works on at many beer vendors throughout the city, so why couldn't it work at least at some of the liquor stores? So we'll continue that discussion throughout the morning here on The Start, but right now, the headline at globalnews.ca, cjob.com, Pallister criticized after posting Winnipeg snow pictures on social media while vacationing in Costa Rica. And the picture that is accompanying this story... Uh, uh, they always just get the best pictures of Brian Pallister, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> I like it. So, what do you guys think of this? The, the, the picture that one here's one that was sent out. Expect blowing snow and gusting wind this afternoon. Hashtag stay warm, my fellow Manitobans. Weather Wednesday, and the picture says another day, another snowfall. And then from, from outside his the ledge. other, I think it was also his Twitter account. It said you need a shovel on this hashtag Monday morning, and then it had a snowflake picture. And so the point was that. 
These came from his account, but he was in Costa Rica while these tweets and Instagram images were sent. And so do you care about that? Do you like the optics of someone? Did you feel like he was pretending to be here or commiserating with you even though he wasn't or, or what? That's the weird part of it is that you're not here and, you, and you're trying to pretend like like you are. At least that's the way it feels is that he was trying to pretend as though he was here. Now, to be clear, his staff has since said, look, we, we often tweet from his accounts. So enough. it could have just been a staffer putting out photos just because he's got a wide reach. Stay safe, stay 100%. warm, all those kinds of things. But yeah, not a scandal to me in any way. Just just bothersome because I don't like it when my buddy Johnny phones me from the Okanagan and says, hey, minus 25 again today. Hey, G-Mac. Yeah, Johnny was nice talking to you. <laughs> that's about that's that's the sort of emotion it evokes from me when I'm talking to my buddies. And uh, you know, when you think about your friends that are on the hot weather vacation and they're sharing their pictures on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it might be, yeah, you feel a little bit jealous, but I'm typically happy for my friends when they get away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Hey, good for you." I'm glad that you're away, but there, there's a, there's a mixed mixed message here. Uh, it's far from scandalous. Yeah, I, I don't know if I like the optics of someone, even if it is his staff. And I understand that's how lo- a ton of political accounts and company accounts work. They're not actually necessarily driven by the CEO or the, in this case, the premier. So I'm not sure I like the optics of you know he's clearly not here. But those are the tweets that are going out. But at the end of the day, the guys, the man's allowed to take a vacation. If from that vacation, like there's people who go to Mexico. I have a friend who's there and they'll put on their Facebook page just last week. Oh, feeling, feeling for my brothers and sisters in minus 40 in Manitoba, much warmer here. And so they're, you know, they're acknowledging the pain of the cold while they're in the warmth. And it could, could some of it too just have to do with perception? Like, I don't know Brian Pallister personally. I've interviewed him one time. I've met him a couple of other times in the halls of our radio station. So I don't know Brian Pallister as a man. But, I mean, there, there, I, I think there's a perception that he is not a man of the people. Dude lives in his big, big giant mansion with a seven-car garage. And, hey, good for him and his success and his family's success. Uh, but uh, it seems to me that it's just things like this. He's gone to Costa Rica, what, eight weeks a year? Like that this just is not uh, a man of the people. And I think it's stuff like this contributes to that. I think that's why people get riled up about it, because he he's trying to, to portray this image that he's with us and that he's standing beside us. But he's really not. That's an interesting point of view on it. I'll, I'll give you that. I just uh, I think overall, this is it's trying to gain political points out of something that uh I think when you when you dissect it, it is is funny. It's humorous more than anything, and it's a it's an excuse to to pick on him, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, if if that if that's what floats your boat, go with it. But uh, yeah, I just I more got a chuckle out of it than than anything else. I think the people who don't like it are the people who already perhaps didn't like either him or his party to begin with, and it's just fuel for that fodder. And then there's the others who say like he. Leave it alone. We don't care about this. This isn't a story, right? And now, so, if I'm if I'm coaching someone on the social media side, I might say, not the best idea. Yeah. That's probably not the way to go if you're trying to, and then just to play off your thoughts on it, Brett, if you're trying to be a little bit more likable and to be someone who's shoulder to shoulder, you know, we, we got out in the traffic last Monday and, you know, we're, we're one of you. Um you might want to be more authentic about where that's coming from. But other than that, I think it's, uh, I think it's more uh, humorous than anything.
start this hour, Loren McNabb, with one of the most important people, really, in history. Yeah, and if you think about this moment, you can probably see the image in your mind. 29 years ago today, Nelson Mandela walked out of a South African prison after spending 27 years behind bars. There's Mr. Mandela, Mr. Nelson Mandela, a free man taking his first steps into a new South Africa. You could see him being followed by just streams of people, thousands of people chasing his car down the street as he drove away from that prison. Of course, a defining moment in the end of apartheid, which followed a years-long struggle to challenge that system of white supremacy there. A struggle that's now on display right here in Winnipeg at the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. It's called Mandela Struggle for Freedom, and the exhibit opened last year, but is so popular, it's actually extended its hours to the fall of 2019. And to share more on what you can see there, and of course, what happened 29 years ago today, we're joined by its curator, Isabelle Masson. Good morning. Good morning. So first of all, let's talk, do you remember that moment? Uh, (laughs) We were all a little bit younger, but I can certainly see it in my mind. I definitely do remember that moment. Um, it's something that it's part of the exhibit. We 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 present the video of the release, so you have that experience of seeing Mandela walk out of prison, literally. And and many people who visit the show actually share this, share that they remember that moment, and it had a huge impact because by that point, Mandela is is the most famous political prisoner in the world. So it, it it's a moment that was celebrated around the world. I think it's a moment that a lot of people never imagined would come. And how unique is it when a great deal, a great number of the people that are coming to experience this display have a living memory of it? That That's pretty unique when it comes to museums, because normally that it's, it's ancient history or something that happened long before we were born. Yes, absolutely. I think it, it's, it adds an element of, of that emotional experience that the exhibit is in a way different emotion, but that emotion, that connection that you have to world history, to human rights struggle around the world, right? And so the show tells, of course, that, that moment, but it, it situates that moment and the brother story that made the moment the brothers struggle. So it's it's a big exhibit. It's a story that we tell in five chapters, so five zones. So seeing Mandela walk out of prison is part of one one zone, one space, but you have four other space before that that, that tell you who he was, uh, where he came from, how he tried to change the system for so long, what sent him to prison for 27 years years, him and others, and how he, actually we know of his release in 1990, but many people don't know that he was also offered conditional release before that and and refused um, conditional release on condition that he would renounce the struggle. And so you get those elements of the story that people are not necessarily familiar with, may have a connection, and we do this through showing um, exceptional artifacts, original artifacts from Robben Island Museum in South Africa we show a letter that he sent uh, from an original letter that he sent while he was still in prison signing it Madiba which is his clan name uh, people call him Madiba in South Africa as a sign of love and and and, and respect and so these different elements that that bring this 
fuller, broader story. We have music. And the uh, cell, right? Not to mention a chance exactly. because to, to, be, to feel like it would have been like to be, it's a pretty small space. Mm-hmm. So it's a replica cell? It's a replica cell. You can, it's, a, it's actually also a motion-activated experience. So you can enter the cell, you can touch the objects, the very few objects that he had in his cell when he was sent there. Um, he slept on the floor, so a little bench, the mat on the floor. You can, you can sit on the floor if you'd like. And then as you walk in that space, uh, you trigger films. We created through research. There's quite a bit of research and, and we went to South Africa to do this research as a team and we created five films that help people um, know more of his experience of, a, you know, the experience of political prisoners, his own experience um, on Robben Island and how you might expect you know, if if what happened in South Africa when Mandela is sent to prison for so long with many others, you might have expected that the struggle was over. Um, in in essence, the apartheid state succeeded in beheading the resistance movement in South Africa. And in the cell, you discover how the political prisoners maintain their spirit. They weren't broken by that experience. They continued to prepare themselves for change. They continued to discuss and debate political ideas, talk about freedom, talk about justice and inequality, and envision a different South Africa. One of the things I think is interesting, I was reading this morning, that a lot of Canadians might know the name Mandela, but perhaps still don't really understand the term apartheid, which those two are so intrinsically linked when you say Mandela, you should be thinking apartheid, and yet a lot of people don't even understand that word or what that meant. Absolutely. Um, as, as we were developing the research and very early on, we, we did some research, and that's exactly what we found. There was a name recognition for Mandela, but not as much knowledge about the history and the context of his struggle. So I was talking earlier about our five chapters or moment in the exhibit. The very first one sets the scene. It's it's called apartheid and it's explaining what the system was about. It's explaining what, what... what the imposition of racial oppression, of racial inequality, how it came about in South Africa, what it looked like in everyday life and making the point that racial oppression and segregation were was imposed through apartheid to all aspects of life in South Africa. And then once you've established that context, and it's not intended as a book on the wall. The idea is not to present dates and, and to tell, uh, to, to give an history course in, in those few moments. It's more to experience and be, and be exposed to the injustices that apartheid represented and how it applied itself and what it looked like in everyday life. And once you've had that experience, you meet your main character, if you will. Mandela it becomes a main character in that story. And you meet him, you see iconic images of the man. He loved boxing, he was very athletic. So you see some of these iconic images. We've known him now, later, for images during his presidency, right? A smiling Mandela, very loved Mandela internationally. But seeing those other images of a young and defiant, rebellious Mandela uh, with that strength and passion, Mandela the lawyer, Mandela the boxer, it's very interesting and and fleshes out that story uh, very well. 
It's called Mandela, Struggle for Freedom. It's on at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. You can get more information at humanrights.ca, and it has been extended into the fall. Isabelle Masson is the curator of the exhibit. Isabel, thank you for visiting us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Once again, 29 years ago today, Nelson Mandela walked out of a South African prison after 27 years behind bars. February is Heart Month. Many of us are aware of that. We're also becoming acutely aware of the challenges women face in terms of their heart health. One in three Canadian women will be affected by heart disease at some point in their lifetime. And recent reports and and other research indicate that women have been under-researched, under-diagnosed, and misinformed on symptoms surrounding heart conditions. In order to raise awareness about women and heart disease, the Canadian Women's Heart Health Alliance is spearheading a national grassroots initiative. It's called the Wear Red Canada Movement. Joining us this morning to discuss the national campaign and the local slant on it and encouraging us to wear red on Wednesday is Manitoba coordinator for this event, Jackie Ratz. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We heard so much about your story on the health report yesterday morning. I want to ask you about why you're so involved in this in just a minute, but just talk about how we can get involved and and what does the hashtag uh, indicate? Her heart matters. What are you trying to bring awareness to with that hashtag? We're trying to bring awareness to uh, the hashtag Her Heart Matters, that heart disease is the number one leading cause of death for women in Canada. And due to the lack of research that's been happening um, over the number over decades, um, women have not had the proper prognosis. They've not had the right tools or the treatments to be able to recover effectively from the heart from heart disease. And it's not just women; it's it's practitioners, it's it's doctors as well haven't correct. had all the correct information. Absolutely, and there's many types of uh, heart disease that affect women that are just starting to be researched more thoroughly now. And Dr. Olga Taliva is actually a leading um, doctor here in Winnipeg that is sort of moving the charge to try to get um, a women's heart health center here. And so part of uh, what we're trying to do here in Manitoba through Rare Red Canada is to raise awareness and to be able to build, to raise some money to be able to get that heart facility started here. Part of the thing we hear from people is that the, re- the, the symptoms present so differently. And so when you walk into a ER often as a woman who thinks they might be having a heart attack, they're looking for people who, or a heart condition period, they're looking for that typical grabbing your chest, like feeling like an elephant sitting on you kind of thing. And it's so very, very different. Um, Is that a repeated story you've heard or is that personal to you too in terms of it's it is very it is different for women and you know when we take a it's it's hard to say we don't like the word different Uh, it's more that there is a set of symptoms that are more typical for Mm -hmm. men and then there's a set of symptoms that are more typical for women and one of the things that is is uh, sort of more typical for women is how they describe their symptoms when they come into an ER and often they don't talk about it as crushing pain they talk about uh, they talk about more about their, there's that there's just a pressure in their shoulder or that there's some jaw they have nausea um, often they have they they will experience um, uh, dry mouth as well so the symptoms are slightly slightly more um, I guess I can't, I can't think of a different word. It's different from than from men, and you know, and that's something that we need to start working on is changing that language as well, so that people start to recognize the differences that men have certain symptoms and women have certain symptoms. And just looking at, uh, we are 
or wearredcanada-mb.com. And I see that uh, there, aside from wearing red on the 13th, there are other events being held in Winnipeg. Uh, what, what are some of those events? Correct. The Wear Red is actually a national campaign that is a very easy one that um, people can get involved with right across the country. But here in Winnipeg, we special we, we focused in on a couple of different events. And one of them is that we're doing a free health heart talk at noon at the um, at the St. Boniface Hospital at the Albright Research Centre, the Sam Cohen uh, Auditorium, and uh, Dr. Olga Toliva, as well as uh, Dr. Dukas. And we're also going to have a patient uh, with uh, lived experience be part of the panel. And then at uh, 1.30, we're going to have a, a presentation of Art for the Soul. And this is um, a great art exhibit uh, by a local artist, and it's all focused around women. Um, and we're going to have some free coffee, some tea, as well as a sweet treat from Sweet, Roof, a sweet Treat from Sweet Retreat. <laughs> um, and then at 7 p.m., we're doing a benefit concert at the Winnipeg Art Gallery called Music to Inspire Your Heart by Tony Zhao, who's a renowned pianist, and he's just uh, moved back recently to Winnipeg. Part of this for you, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's about creating inspiration for other women, too, because when diagnosed, how long ago were you diagnosed with heart? I was diagnosed with uh, chemo-induced cardiomyopathy um, approximately five years ago, and then I was diagnosed with uh, being in heart failure about three years ago. So in the midst of all that, I mean, life-altering news, you're also trying to find, I think, probably your own group of people to help you through it or give you the answers that you're looking for, just camaraderie. Is that fair? Very much so. One of the things that when I was diagnosed with uh, chemo-induced cardiomyopathy, I started looking for a support network around me. And that's part of the reason why this Her Heart Matters initiative is so important too, is that there was very little in terms of peer support. And so through, through my own experiences with heart disease, I started a Facebook support group to be able to um, bring women together from across the country. Um, and it was through that group that I was able to find my way to the Alliance and to some of the other advocacy groups, advocacy work that I do now. You know, we were talking about terminology earlier, and one of the descriptors of a type of heart attack is a widow maker. Yes. Well, you know, um, typically that uh, draw that you draw a direct line to a man, but women can have those same cardiac events as well. And when you talk terminology, you your type of of heart condition is exactly what it sounds like chemo induced cardiac myopathy talk about that because you've successfully battled cancer and uh, this this is on the backside of that correct Correct. In my particular case, my um, my heart story actually starts much further back. I was 24 years old when I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, the prognosis was not very good at that time. Battled through it, managed to, to continue continue through and get a uh, get a clean bill of health. And, and I had 20 plus great years of really good health. Um, and then when I um, woke up one morning, I was uh, coming through a very stressful period of time, and I just knew I wasn't right. And you know how sometimes we have to listen to our bodies when they're telling us something's not right? And I had uh, had planned a physical already, had scheduled a physical, and I moved it up. I thought, you know what, this is just not right. And to be very honest, I, had, I did not have heart issues on my radar at all because the symptoms were just not as we normally would say, typical. Um, but I decided I wanted to get checked out sooner. So I went in, and um, after uh, pushing for an EKG to be done, um, because there is heart issues in my family, but again, I didn't really expect anything, um, it came back abnormal. And so the doctor was quite shocked as well, because I was 44 years old, so that's not normal. Um, it in, It's now being... The research now is showing that 
chemo and radiation, which is what I had, I had both, has long-term impacts on um, different organs, specifically the heart. The heart is a very oxygen-needing um, organ. And chemo, of course, what it does is it robs the body of oxygen. So it's no surprise that there's damage being done to the heart. Um, I'm very fortunate because, for, I believe, because I had 20 plus good years. I had 20 beautiful years of life. Now I'm dealing with a new chapter in my life, yes, but I wouldn't have had those years otherwise. So, And I'm very grateful to be able to be a voice now for people with, with uh, heart disease and to be able to try to be able to move that needle in terms of women's research. The website, once again, is Wear Red Canada. Specifically for us, it's wearredcanada-mb.com. That's where you can find information on all of the Winnipeg events. The hashtag is HerHeartMatters, and you're being encouraged to wear red on the 13th. The Manitoba coordinator for this event is Jackie Ratz. Jackie, thanks for the visit today. We appreciate it. Thank you. And please post to social media using the hashtag HerHeartMatters. Does my red hair count? It does. Thank you. (laughs) Look at that. So supportive. There. That's good. I don't look good in red. That's why I got to ask. Well, you can get one of these t-shirts at Warehouse One. That's, oh, and it's they're white, white with there. red. So I will there you do go. That. It will complement your red well, hair. Well, we've got heart disease in my own family, so I would like to support that as well. And I'll put the t-shirt on. Maybe I'll tease the hair back home. It sounds Maybe you should that sounds perfect. Like diet hyper red. Oh, right. More red. Yeah. And it's men's and ladies t-shirts available at Warehouse One. Oh, good. One. Right on. Hey, Jackie, thank you so much for the visit. Macklin, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Before we introduce our next guest, just got to quickly mention that CFL Free Agency opens at 11 tomorrow. Be sure to tune in for our three-hour Santa Lucia Pizza CFL Experts panel live on Facebook from 11 until 2. Experts like Bob Irving, Doug Brown, Greg Mackling, join Christian O'Mell to break down the signings and what they mean for the Bombers. And I'm sure our guest, Lara Ray from the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, artistic director from the Comedy Fest, has all kinds of things to say about oh, CFL free agency. I too, indeed, yeah. You're not, you're not signed, are you, Lara? I am not signed. So technically you're a free agent. I am a free agent, yeah, I am a free agent. <laughs> I like the, uh, I like the, it's, it's football, right? It's football, Yeah, yes, yeah, Lara. I do like the game. Um, in football, where I come from, you kick you kick the ball along the ground and yeah, nobody scores a goal. Oh, it's called soccer. It's yeah. called soccer, yeah, yeah but that's what I parts. grew up with. But I, I actually, back in the day, I played a little bit of uh, uh, football. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do like know. the sport. But, you know, I can't, I can't get into it anymore because of the, the terrible consequences. Well, I also used to love boxing as well. But I just don't think, uh, you know, maybe the CFL is doing a bit better. But the, the NFL, I mean, it was just, it seemed like they were they had moved towards really addressing the issue of, of head injuries and mm. stuff. And then they backed right off. And now it's making billions. See, you you, you bet against Lara having a take on it. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I knew there would be a well, take. Yeah, somebody from a comedy festival, you expect a hilarious discussion about that's, head injuries. That's right, yeah, indeed. I was waiting indeed. for the punchline. I was like, is this going to get funny? No, no, no never. Are we, no, how are we making yes. concussions funny? Well, well we promise. What's this, what's this lovely, beautiful woman's voice? Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> Many times I have had an idea that it would be you two. I, I use this term because it's in radio terminology. You two dummies yeah. and, and, and a girl. And, uh, and I come in today and I have been usurped Well, by a beautiful... Cisgendered, may I point out, not suggesting there's any prejudice here at, at the OB, 
but a cisgender woman doing doing the yuck along with you guys. The well, little send the Robin your invoice. Gibbons. Send your invoice for your idea to I the know. appropriate places, and you'll get paid for your idea. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Are you straining your laughing vocal cords Am very I much around here? Them? I, some days I'm laughing a ton, and other days I'm laughing at myself more yeah, than anything yeah. because you're like, oh boy, that didn't make any sense. What was I just trying to state? And say? then choices, hey, choices. We laugh at our choices. <laughs> we say, why? How am? I, how did I? How did I end up what here? What was I thinking? Yes, yeah, yeah. that's pretty but common whatever. for me. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Our guests are Lara Ray, the Artistic Director of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, and Dean Jenkinson. Oh, hi. I'm here, too. Hello, Dean. Dean. It's good to see you. There's something coming up on Wednesday, Dean. Down with Love, your Valentine's Day pregame. It's at the Met at 7 o'clock. And Down with Love is the connotation that Hey, we're down with love, or does it mean like down with love? Both. It's I both. think it means both. It works for anybody. If you're down with love, like yes, I'm all in, show up. And if you're like boo, down with love, show up, because there'll be something for everybody. We have. Uh, I always thought you a know variety they have, of comics exactly because they have all Saint they have all Saints Day mm-hmm. as, as we know right on November first. And so what's the night before All Hallows Eve, right, where people can let out the the more the more you know uh, evil, evil impulses sides, and yeah. stuff right so why doesn't why why doesn't valentine's day have a have a comrade a darker comrade the sure. night before i think february 13th <laughs> should be for all the people that have been destroyed by love but broken by love <laughs> how many people wake up on valentine's day and just think boo like yeah, i'm not yeah. interested in this day yeah. at all well more people will be dumped this week than any other week I know it is. Is that so, a true stat? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the Tuesday before Valentine's Day. Oh boy. Save a little money. I eh? save so a little money. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, and not to not to undermine it, you know. But uh, I mean, it is a real thing, of course. You know that people. You know, Christmas is the same, right? As we move towards a holiday, and there's an expectation of conformity to to conviviality. It's Some co- people that aren't involved are, 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 are feel left out. Well, so the show is for them. It's an opportunity to re- re-examine where you're at in yeah, and, your and, relationship, and, good, bad, or otherwise. And to hold the bar and say, is my partner clearing this bar at this moment? And if not, boom. Yeah, so this is, you know, uh, this is how hilarious (laughs) it's all going to be. No, but it is. It's going to be a little bit of both because we have Derek Sagan, who has a very very good-looking man, has been very lucky in love, and now is a... But he's also a bit of a... A character. He's a bit of a character. You know, if you were his girlfriend, you would be like, this handsome, devilishly talented man is uh, a handful. He's a handful. (laughs) And he's he's probably going to use that, your relationship... As material, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, but the audience love him, right? He was serious, oh, yeah. top comic, you know. And then Erica Sigurdsson is, again, somebody who's, uh, and I think her take is very unique. She has been in a relationship for over 14 years, which she prefers to be uh, labeling a marriage. But her partner, her long-term partner, who is a lovely man, is just, you know. Dragging his feet. Mm. Dragging his feet, <laughs> I, I think, is the best way. And then Spencer Adamus, who's, who's beginning his journey, if I may. Uh, towards love and, and happiness. How and old is Spencer? He's a young man. He's seven years old. He's seven <laughs> years old. And, uh, he's adorable. He's adorable. So he gets those I choo, choo, choose you yes. kind of Valentine uh, cards. For everyone. For everyone For in everyone. Class. And uh, so, yeah, and the Met is a, is a romantic locale. And so what we're thinking is, you know, whether you're a couple that have been together for a while and you don't really want to celebrate Valentine's Day, but you want to have kind of fun on the 13th, that's a way to do it. So, so sorry, Dean, your... did you say where you fit in on that spectrum oh, of love? where am I? I, I am uh, currently not uh, with anyone that I'm 
in love with. You could announce your conscientious uncoupling <laughs> ladies, if you'd like to do that. Ladies, if you want a bitter separated man, here I am. He Two is. children. They're adorable. Well, it says in your bio you hate labels, so I was trying to figure out if you just didn't want to be put into a box. I'm one of those a, label haters, right. if you know those people. And as, you know, as, a, as a transgender woman, you know, this has been the new thing for me in my, in my life over the last four years has been dating, you know, going out into the dating How's it scene. Going? It's going good. Yeah. Like there was a guy I dated for a year. And then there was another man that um, I, I, I guess I saw for about five, six, uh, five or six weeks, you know. And so, I mean, overall, and which it's was been, better, a year or five or six weeks? Um, you know, I think the five or six weeks yeah. was good for yeah. me. You know, yeah. small doses is something <laughs> I've learned. Um, but I mean, I got to tell you, it's quite an eye opener. You know, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I, you know, like the, just the idea of somebody saying karma's a bitch. In terms of, um, you know, this idea of um, being socialized in the male world and then really being the recipient of that kind of lack of attention, you know, in terms of texting back or just taking it seriously enough, you know, that it's... getting ghosted? Isn't that the terminology the kids are using? Oh, my goodness, yeah, I totally get ghosted. I totally get ghosted. What's that mean? What happens? Well, you you think you're you're having this interaction with someone on social media or texting, and and you text them, and you see the three dots, and then the three dots go away. (laughs) They're not responding. They're responding... And you're just waiting. That's they the worst. They keep you hanging on That's the line because they know that they, yes. they got your message, but they're not answering back. They're not answering your calls. That's ghosting. Yeah, ghosting is, you know, I'm not going to announce we're breaking up. I'm just never going to uh, communicate with you ever oh. again. And you'll say, where where did they go? It's like they're a ghost. Oh, oh I thought this was oh, what I, I, I do. I thought it was different because I was making a pot, like a, like I do pottery. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm cording now. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a Melody pot. Was no. playing and I, in feel, the I feel this hand on me. <laughs> Far and too I turn and there's no one there. <laughs> and I was very disconcerted. And I thought, oh, I've been ghosted. And I felt quite excited about that. <laughs> but this is a different thing. This is just people that don't want your sadness touching their lives. <laughs> they're, they're, they're moving on, but not necessarily <laughs> announcing their intention as right. Right. Dean so eloquently uh, described. I think we'll be talking about ghosting, and I think we'll be talking about uh, all sorts of good things. And it's at the Met, which is a beautiful venue, and it's at seven o'clock. Well, it's get, on the thirteenth. On Let's get more details in a moment. We got to check our forecaster. D- our guests are artistic director from the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, Lara Ray, and Dean Jenkinson, who will also be performing at Down with Love, your Valentine's Day pregame this Wednesday night at the Met. It's Macklin McGarry and McNabb, or two dummies and a beautiful woman. Is that? <laughs> An, an appropriate uh, summary. That'll there, do. Okay. <laughs> and we'll check your forecast next on CGOB. I'll take it. <laughs> Can you the Winnipeg Comedy Festival in a moment, but Greg, if we get more snow, that's just going to mean more plowing and more windrows. Of course, uh, that's exactly what it means. Right now, the city is embarking on a residential street plow. If you're in zones A, F, H, K, N, R, and U, You need to stay off the streets between, well, from now straight through until 7 p.m. And then overnight tonight, B, G, I, P, Q, and T. And, of course, you get those uh, on your birth certificates here in Manitoba. (laughs) We all all know our zone. If you don't know your zone, winnipeg.ca or the Know Your Zone app. Keep your car out of trouble. 
Save yourself a ticket. And the, the event happening Wednesday night at the Met, Winnipeg Comedy Festival, Down With Love, your Valentine's Day pregame. Our guests are artistic director for the Comedy Festival, Lara Ray, and Dean Jenkinson, who will be performing at this show. And Dean, uh, we confirmed it. It's called Red Tuesday. It's an actual phenomenon. Oh. The day of year you are most likely to be dumped is the Tuesday before Valentine's Day. Wow. So you get dumped on Tuesday. You better find someone fast. Or you just go to the Comedy Festival and Down With Love. I could, I could, yeah, find somebody, get dumped tomorrow. That would work. Oh, I wasn't suggesting you go find someone so you could get dumped. Oh, okay, well. I'm Why couldn't you dump them? You, you need yeah, to work on yourself. That's what I was going to say. You do the dumping. You do yeah, the I've dumping. Never been, I've never been good at that. I've, I've never been good at that. I've just... Uh, Have you ever been dumped? Oh, yeah. Yes. Many times. <laughs> I know that. I, I know that. Oh, I was yeah, asking you, you rhetorically. Brown. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I insist. I insist that somewhere there is someone that I I went out with in grade eight who thinks we're still going out because I'm so bad at the breakup. So you just ah. go, you, did you ghost her? Is that uh, I, I guess in essence it's what I did without technology. I'm a pioneer that way. I suppose I was dumped by email. Oh, this not yeah. great. Which How used to be. I mean, remember when that was a news story? People are getting fired yeah. by email yeah. now. Yeah, no, so. I know it's incredible. Yeah, no. Uh, now that's polite. If well, you it actually is send actually because they said, "Oh, well, at least it wasn't a tax, <laughs> right?" But do you remember both about? Of those I mean, suck. the, that's the attrition on 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 social customs because it used to be a, ta- a telephone 20, would be rude. Yeah, in 2019, getting an email breaking up—that's like a notarized letter. That is indeed. It actually, it was a notarized letter. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and a restraining order. No, the uh, the thing is that there is a uh, yeah. There, there's been a there's been a real drift, right? Yeah. In in kind of social custom. It used to be that you would actually sit down with the person and maybe just and and, and lie and, to them and li- yeah, yeah or break, <laughs> break it's it you it's me break yeah. it to them gently as uh, yeah Burton as Burton once said yeah. having I can't picture Burton really breaking anything to anyone gently or Can breaking you? anything gently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no good way to do it though. Yeah. At the end of the day, like a text versus an email versus just them phoning you up and saying. We're done. It all sucks. I think it is a tearing off the Band-Aid yeah. uh, kind of scenario, right? Yeah. Like you, you just got to do it. Lingering is bad. Lingering is bad. So every, really... Everyone should be able to tell when there's lingering going on, mm-hmm. but sometimes you don't realize it's happening. There's nothing worse than realizing this was over weeks and weeks ago. Which is, you know, if you're both on the same page and you say, and you, and when one person says it aloud, you're like, thank you. Yes. Oh, oh I wondered. Because, ah. <laughs> uh, there yes. can be relief, right? But if one person is surprised by that news, not that's good. that's horrifying. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember going to a concert, and we were in a car with a group of of, of teens, and uh, one of the you were one of the seven. Bo- I was thirty seven. <laughs> one of the boys in the car. That was good. One of the boys in the car uh, asked asked that uh, we we run a short errand, and then he runs up to a door and he rings the doorbell. <laughs> Clearly, somebody answers. Then the doorbell closes, and then he trots back to the car, gets in. Somebody says, "What was that about?" They had broken up. With their, yeah, I just got to break up with somebody on my way. Can you? On my yeah. way to the bar. <laughs> That's uh, which is number three in the seven habits of highly effective people <laughs> is multitasking. <laughs> Stephen Covey, I don't remember reading that in that in that book, but I'll have to check double check my copy. <laughs> so, Dean, uh, the show is this Wednesday night, but the mm-hmm. the the, the, pro, the comedy festival is coming up April twenty eighth to May fourth. How yes. go preparations for that? Uh, it's coming together. Uh, we have uh, a number of very funny acts lined up that we will be announcing uh, shortly, 
And uh, we're very excited. We're in a new venue this year. Uh, our galas we used to tape downtown at the Pantages, and now we've moved to the uh, Club Regent Events Center. Free parking. Free parking and lots of it. People and like that. People and, love the and parking. And a lot more gaming than you a lot can more do gaming in the and, uh, and the beautiful, uh, beautiful venue. We were looking at the new set the other day, the set design. That was quite exciting. It mm-hmm. just means it's coming. What about parking? Do you have to pay for parking there? Uh, I believe that parking is uh, free of charge. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I thought yeah. I would ask, clarify that. Yeah, it's no, free. you don't pay at Club Regent. No. no. Yeah, it's free. Free parking? Yeah. Yeah. Free parking yeah, at absolutely. Club Regent? For yeah. the, uh, yeah. Now, now you're making me doubt myself. No, it, you is. it absolutely is. Thank you. Because yeah. you asked me something twice, I begin to... I was, I was just there for... Uh, <laughs> All my integrity collapses on further interrogation. It's free parking. Yeah. I was just there Friday, yeah. Because Jeremy Hotz was at the event center. And yes, definitely free parking. And did you pay for your parking? I did not pay for my parking and nobody asked me to. Perfect. Hey, Dean, is uh, Winnipeg still a little bit of a hotbed for, for comedy? No, no, it's dead. It's, it's totally over. Oh, come we on. We hate now. comedy. And come we, no, now. Winnipeg is a wonderful, wonderful comedy it's city. Booming. There's comedy going on all over the place. The uh, Just for Laughs programmer, as a matter of fact, uh, in a couple of weeks is coming out to, to survey local talent. That's how strong our um, our, our lineups are here. That, uh, does she do that everywhere? No. She does not do that everywhere. She does no, not do that no, everywhere. Only in, uh, only in capital cities. WinnipegComedyFestival.com is the website. The event this Wednesday is called Down With Love, your Valentine's Day pregame. It's at the Metropolitan Entertainment Derek's Center. Derek's again. What's that? Derek's again. That's right. Who else is going to be there? Eric Sigerson. Sigerson. Dean Jenkinson. Are you performing, Lara? I am not other than in a general sense. Okay. <laughs> wherever I am, always I'm performing. a big noise. Yeah. 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 Well, and you'll be performing at the Comedy Festival, which runs April 28th to May 4th. You can get tickets. That will More do. information at winnipegcomedyfestival.com. Lara, Dean, thanks for coming in. We appreciate Our the visit. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.